0: Well, hello, and uh, welcome to the CSF Monthly Podcast for January 2020. Whenever you're listening to and watching this, I I wish you a very happy new year and a happy new decade. So today I'm going to review two of the four papers uploaded to the CSF website this month. And you can access detailed summary slides of the papers discussed online by visiting cytokinesignaling.com. That's cytokinesignaling, all one word. Now, the first paper I want to talk about is uh, a phase one trial looking at Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor evobrutinib, and the study was led by Andres Becker from the Merck group. Now, uh, Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor (BTK) for short, is one of the many kinases. There are 518 of them have been described in the human kinome, and these are critical regulators of all manner of cellular functions. And as we know, for example, in the JAK inhibitor uh, revolution, we're beginning to understand that kinase inhibition has possibilities in the the management of immune-mediated inflammatory diseases. We've known for some time that they had potential in the treatment of some cancers. Now, BTK is expressed in many hemopoietic cells. It's It's a regulator of B cell and FC receptor signaling. And evibrutinib is an oral BTK inhibitor, and it's been shown to have some efficacy in preclinical and autoimmune disease models. Uh, This was an analysis designed to examine the drug's safety, pharmacokinetics, target occupancy, and QT interval in healthy subjects. So healthy, phase one, very early. So don't get too excited about it at the moment, but I think it's quite an important signal as to where the field may be going. Now, the PK parameters were determined by non-compartmentalized methods. Uh, BTK occupancy was determined by the total BTK and free BTK in peripheral blood mononuclear protein lysates, take the cells out the body and, uh, and look at what uh, enzyme is present and, and what is, is there in total and what is actually free from enzymatic activity. And the QT interval was obtained from a 12-lead electrocardiogram recording and corrected for heart rate by uh, Friedrich's method. Uh, this was a study that had two distinct parts. First part randomized 48 subjects to a single dose of evobrutinib or placebo in six ascending dose cohorts from 25 milligrams through to 500 milligrams. Now, part two randomized 36 subjects to evobrutinib or placebo once daily for 14 days in three ascending dose cohorts of 25 75 and 200 milligrams. So that's a pretty conventional phase one approach, single dose exposure, then multiple dose exposure. And the the doses cover a pretty fair range as would be expected at this stage in development. These participants were aged between 18 and 55. They were non-smokers and thought to be in good general health. And their body mass index ranged from 19 to 30 kilograms per square metre. Well, the key outcomes, well, the treatment emergent adverse events were mostly mild. They did occur in 25% of subjects after single dosing and 48.1% of subjects after multiple dosing. Uh, One subject in the 200 milligram group experienced grade 4 increased lipase with grade 3 increased amylase. Remember, grade 3, grade 4 refer to an internationally agreed grade of of severity, where 4 is the most severe. However, there were no clinical signs or symptoms Uh, associated with these and the levels returned rapidly to baseline. So the significance at the moment is unclear. Most common uh, treatment emergent adverse events reported in multiple dosing were headache 11%, skin irritation due to the ECG pads in 7% and fatigue in 7.4%. There was no dose relationship regarding frequency or type of TEE among the evobrutinib treated subjects a non-tolerated dose could not therefore be identified as there were no dose-limiting events. Remember, that's the, the dose of a drug that you get to where you really cannot go any further because that dose is not tolerated by subjects. Uh, PK were uh, a dose proportional after single and multiple dosing, with no time dependency or accumulation noted when administered once daily for 14 days. And in terms of uh, pharmacodynamics, high and sustained PTK occupancy was observed after single and multiple dosing, and more than 90% maximum occupancy was achieved by a single dose of greater than or equal to 200 milligrams, and in all the multiple-dose groups. Um, concentration response modeling for the QTQTC data revealed no prolongation of QTc interval, resulting from single doses of evobrutinib up to 500 milligrams. What do we take from this? Well, it's a, a, an analysis suggesting that avibrutinib was well-tolerated when administered either as single or, more importantly, as multiple ascending doses. And clearly, we need further clinical trials to investigate whether targeting the BTK pathway, as I say, subserving B-cell receptor signaling, FC receptor signaling, and also actually some, some work suggesting it has a role in osteoclast activation. To determine whether that is a Uh, an efficacy-inducing profile. Does the biology in the end translate into useful drug effects for us? So we have to watch this space. Now, the second paper I want to highlight is uh, a post-hoc analysis of the oral scan trial, which is a a study done some time ago when we think about it, and it evaluates the impact of tofacitinib on patient-reported outcomes through 24 months. And this report comes from Viveki Strand, uh, who's uh, affiliated to Stanford University. Now, uh, eligible patients were randomised four to four, one to one, to receive tofacitinib five milligrams bid, ten milligrams bid, BID uh, placebo, and uh, placebo advanced to tofacitinib five or ten milligrams at month three or six. At month three, non-responders, that was defined by less than 20% improvement in swollen joint count, were blindly advanced to tofa, and at month six, all patients were blindly advanced to tofa. And just a quick note, the 10 milligram dose, I think, now is pretty much irrelevant in clinical practice, given recent uh, warnings from the regulatory agencies. But it's certainly reported in this clinical trial. Now, the minimum clinically important differences in PROs were analysed at baseline, month one and every three months thereafter. And the PROs collected included the patient global assessment of disease activity, Hack disability index, patient assessment of pain and SF36 So key results, well, at month three, uh, tofsidinib 5 or 10 milligrams had significant and clinically meaningful improvements in PROs compared to placebo, and they were sustained through to month 24. Uh, similar improvements were reported at month 24 by patients initially in placebo who then advanced on to at either month 3 or month 6. And uh, these improvements suggest that uh, if you respond to tofacitib, then it's going to impact positively on social, emotional and mental well-being. So probably not an unexpected outcome. Uh, The changes in PROs were generally numerically greater with tofacitinib 10 than 5 milligrams. But as I've already remarked, I think that is now pretty much irrelevant in our clinical practice. Patients receiving either 5 or 10 milligrams tofacitinib BID reported significant improvements compared to placebo across all of the SF36 domains as well. Uh, That was measurable by month three and and the facet uh, changes also through to month 24 and health-related quality of life was significantly improved with tofacitinib compared to placebo at month three, and then, of course, in the extension of an active drug through to month 24. So what are our conclusions here? Well, uh, in patients receiving tofacitinib, all evaluated PRO endpoints were improved at month three compared with placebo, and by and large, sustained through month 24. Uh, remember, these are the people who stayed on drugs, so you're enriching for people who are doing well and this was true for those people who went directly onto active compound or for those who had a period of placebo exposure at the beginning and it it suggests that tofacitinib does have benefit across the range of measures of quality of life for people with rheumatoid arthritis which is great Um, and it's important because we're seeing a real expansion in the JAK inhibitor uh, field and, and these are really important components of our evaluation of the impact on well-being. Now, all this content is discussed in a more detailed slide format in the publications section at cytokinesignaling.com. The, the slides are terrific. I, I commend them to you, and I hope you'll find them useful both in your personal study and in communicating messages to your colleagues. Uh, look out for our upcoming author interview with uh, Viviki Strand herself, and she's been, she'll be discussing recent postdoc analysis of Select Next and beyond, focusing in that uh, conversation on the impact of a parasitib on patient reported outcomes. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and make sure to let us know what you think by leaving us a review. Thanks very much indeed and good luck in your clinical practice.